0: talk about the I am God who reveals himself. This is really an introduction before we get into all the I am sayings in the book of John, and we have to begin in Exodus chapter 3. I want you to think about Exodus chapter 3 for a moment. We've never been there, but God's people had been crying out to God for deliverance. They had been beaten, they had been enslaved, they were weary, they were broken, Over the course of time, their children, their sons had been killed. They had cruel taskmasters who were driving them into the ground to build a kingdom and an empire that God, with one man and a staff, was going to take down. Here was an empire that had forgotten that God had blessed it during the days of Joseph, And for hundreds of years, the people had called out to God, God, deliver us. God, save us. God, get us back to our land. But there was no answer. Then Moses shows up. Moses tries to deliver God's people his way, and it doesn't work. And so he runs for his life, and he ends up going out in the middle of the wilderness, and he becomes a sheep herder. It's a long fall from Pharaoh's house. To being a shepherd, the least and the lowliest of all the jobs on the planet that you can have. Here's Moses, highly educated, highly gifted, highly skilled, an obvious leader, and he's a shepherd. One day God appears to him at a burning bush. It wasn't unusual for bushes to burn in those days because in the heat of the wilderness a fire could start, but it would be consumed very quickly. But this bush burned and was not consumed. And God came to that bush, and he revealed himself to Moses with a name that had never been heard before. You tell them, I am sent you. Now, how would you like to stand before the American people and say, I have the answers for America I have one simple message don't need a debate don't need a discussion I don't have a policy I have a message I am sent me in American culture we have become so biblically illiterate most of the culture would not even understand what we were talking about and so God appears to Moses, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13, Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name, and what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. So the first time that we see God revealing himself is the I am God. He's revealing himself to people with great needs, great hurts, great fears, great doubts, great struggles, and a great sense that God has forgotten them. And somewhere over the course of your life, there has been a season, a moment, a time, or there is one coming when you will begin to think to yourself, doubts will begin to come, and you will wonder, has God forgotten me? And so one of the reasons why we're going to look at this is not only to define who Jesus is, but to remember that when God said, I am, he said it all. I am what you need. I am what you're looking for. I am the hope that you long for. I am the peace and the joy and the satisfaction. I am the one who can deliver you. I am the one who can set you free. You may be familiar with the story of Helen Keller who was blinded when she was 19 months old. At age 10, she had a teacher, Ann Sullivan, that taught her how to communicate She began to be taught after she learned how to communicate by a very famous preacher. In fact, if you ever see a book, and you can find them usually on a used book site, by Phillips Brooks. Phillips Brooks was one of the great preachers of a previous time. And Phillips Brooks began to invest time in this deaf and blind girl. And he began to teach her about God And one day during a lesson, Helen communicated this, I knew about God before you told me, only I didn't know his name. God has given us his name. And philosophers have tried to come up with various names for God. Most people try to ignore him. They've come up with names like the Prime Mover and the Unknown God and the Absolute and the Unknowable. A couple of weeks ago, when we were up in the mountains, it was one of those clear, crystal clear nights, far enough out into the hillsides where there are not a lot of street lights and not a lot of house lights. It's just one of those nights when it seems like God has thrown another 10,000 stars into the sky just to say, I can do whatever I want. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, it was pitch black, it was cold. And you could look up and you could see stars just everywhere. You could go out on a clear night in Albany, Georgia, but because we're surrounded by so much light in our homes and on the streets, you can't see it like that. But out in the hills and the mountains and out in the countryside, you can get out on a crystal clear night and you look up and say that God has revealed himself. You can see planets that look like stars because they are so far away from us. You can see stars that are light years away from us that we will never reach no matter how technologically advanced we become. And God just did it just to show you what he can do. I am spoke creation into existence. He didn't get a crew of angels over and say, Now, guys, y'all got to really work hard here because we got to put this earth in place. we got to put this moon in place. we got to put these planets. we got to have this solar system. we got to have this galaxy. And I need you to all really work hard for a couple of million years to kind of bring this about. And, and by the way, he said to the, to the dumbest of the angels, Don't blow anything up because then they'll say it's a Big Bang Theory. And so when God revealed himself, he just spoke it into existence. So how did he do that? Because the guy who calls himself I am can do anything he wants to do. And so I am has revealed himself to us, and God is knowable. And Jesus said in John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's an interesting construction in the Greek because Jesus uses a simple past tense with a linking verb to a present tense. Probably would have gotten graded badly in an English class, but it's great theology. He ties these two together, and, and you can argue about the grammar, but here's what Jesus says I am, Abraham was. I am abraham was abraham's not anymore not like i am i was here before abraham i'll be here after abraham i'll be here long after time has gone what jesus used to reveal himself was the same phrase that god had used the father had used to to uh, moses i am always present i am ruling and overruling the people are in bondage what did god say you tell them i am you tell pharaoh that i am sent you I'm going to rule and overrule whatever Pharaoh decides to do. He's the God who hears our cries. Remember, it says in Exodus that he heard the cries of the people, and he sent Moses to deliver them. The I am sees our desperation. He had revealed to Moses, I am the God of your father. This name, I am, is the basis for every further revelation of God in the Scriptures. I am who I am, my name is forever. Now, the Hebrew comes from a verb meaning to be. And then you add the prefix Y in front of it, and it becomes Yahweh, or our English word, Jehovah. So Yahweh has revealed himself, and this is what he says. I shall be what I shall be and what I have been. God, in saying I am, said I am consistent I don't change, I'm not fickle, I am consistent. The ancient Jews would have explained it this way. The priest in the tabernacle would have explained it this way. I am he who was, I am he who is now, and I am he who is to come. So here's what you get. You get a timeless God where tense doesn't matter well, I know what God did in the past, but what's he going to do in the future? I am said, I am. Tense doesn't matter. He is timeless. He is not limited by time or space. Here's what I know. 99% of you are here for two reasons. First of all, because you believe in God. I mean, you, you wouldn't come out on a Sunday night if you didn't, believe in God. First of all, because you believe in God. And secondly, because you also have honest struggles in life. Folks, theology becomes very practical when you have bad news or when you're going through a downtime or when you're not sure what the next day is going to hold or how you are going to pay your bills. And so the I am God is saying to us in your struggles, in your uncertainties, in your insecurities. I am sufficient for your needs. I love the way Lloyd John Ogilvy put it. He said, struggles are the stuff of life for most of us. Few of us consistently feel good about ourselves. We all have times of insecurity and self-doubt, times when we lack self-esteem. Anxiety is a stranger to none of us. Fears and frustrations track us like angry dogs. We've all had periods of discouragement, disappointment, and feelings of depression. Every one of us has memories which haunt and unfulfilled dreams which hurt. And so as we begin a new study and begin a new year, I would encourage you to have a new view of God. The I am God. God. Don't make God the size of your imagination. Let him be the God the size of the scripture that is clearly revealed to us. J.B. Phillips wrote a great book a number of years ago called Your God is Too Small. And most people's image of God is limited, but he is limitless. Most people's idea about God is that God can do a lot of things for a lot of people, but I'm not so sure he can do it for me. And yet God is the great I am who can do all things as he chooses. This is what Moses needed to learn. The the wilderness had taken the starch out of him and his people were in bondage and he wanted to know if God cared. But what God cared about was taking the Moses out of Moses so that Moses could be filled with God and not try to deliver the people His way, but to deliver the people God's way. God was hammering out a deliverer whose strengths would be in I AM, not in Himself. God revealed Himself to I AM. It was an essential revelation of His nature. He who will make things happen. So the Lord of creation, the Lord of circumstances, the Lord of destiny, the Lord of victory, the Lord of life, the Lord who is active in our lives said, what's your need? I am. Got you covered. Remember what Ed Litton said in Refresh this past year? He's on it. When God says, I'm the I am, he's on it. Whatever it is in your life, whatever you're going through, He's on it. He's on it more than you're on it. He just wants you to get on the same page He's on and see Him as the only one that can get you in it, out of it, through it, or go around it. Whatever you need to do, He's on it. I am. John 1, 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In chapter 1 and verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. What John is setting up is to help us understand that the glory of God has become the grace of God and that the truth of God has become the power of God where man could see God and touch him and know him and interact with him. God came down 22 times in John's gospel. Jesus assumes divine authority over three things. He assumes divine authority over sin, over sickness, and over sadness. When Jesus has divine authority over sin, sickness, and sadness, which would be death, hell, and the grave, if Jesus has divine authority over that, he's pretty much got us covered. And he proclaimed it not once, but 22 times, that he had authority in those areas. Sometimes we don't pray like he has authority in those areas. Sometimes we don't believe like he has authority in those areas. But he has said of himself, I've got the authority because he's the I am. Now, nine times in the Old Testament, the Lord filled out or completed his Old Testament name. One of these days I'm going to do a a series on the names of Yahweh, but let me just give them to you and just give a brief definition. You know these, but let me give you the reference to it. The first one is the Lord will provide or see to it. Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide or see to it. So if you have a need for God to provide or God to see to something in your life, he is the Lord who will provide and who will see to it, Genesis twenty-two, fourteen. 14. He is the Lord who heals, Exodus 15 and verse 26. The Lord who heals. He is the Lord our banner, Exodus 17, 15. He is the Lord who sanctifies, Leviticus 20 and verse 8. He is the Lord our peace, Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. He is the Lord, my shepherd, Psalms 23 in verse 1. He is the Lord of hosts, Psalm 46 in verse 7. He's the Lord, our righteousness, Jeremiah 23 in verse 6. He, the Lord is there, Ezekiel 48, 35. Now, Jesus is all of this. Every one of those things, you can find a story, a miracle, a teaching, or an example from the life of Jesus and see Him in all of this. But let me just give you a few. He supplies all of our needs, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. That's what it is. The Lord will provide or see to it. He supplies all of our needs. He's able to heal. We look at those Scriptures, and we see how God has healed. We've seen people in this church that God has miraculously healed. He overcomes all that we have to fear, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He set us apart for himself, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. He gives peace in the storm, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. He remembers our sins no more. I like that one. You like that one? You ever have a relative that reminds you of your sins? He remembers our sins no more. So once it's under the blood and once it's been covered, quit bringing it up to God because he doesn't know what you're talking about. It's not that he doesn't know. It's that he chooses not to remember what you did. So if God can forgive us at that level, we should forgive others at that level. He is with us Matthew chapter one and verse twenty three I turn if you would to John chapter eight one of the things that uh, I love about the gospel is I, I sent a tweet out this morning that a prophet is not a troublemaker he's a troubleshooter um, but one of the things I learned I love about Jesus is that just I mean, Jesus was a meek and lowly Jesus, but boy, he could tick off a religious crowd. I mean, you just think about the Pharisees. Every night, the Pharisees went home and bit nails. I mean, they just couldn't stand him. Because every time they tried to play like they were super spiritual, or tried to play like they had all the answers, Jesus nailed them. I mean, he got all over them. He didn't cut them any slack with dead religion because when the I am is in your midst, that means that life is in your midst, not dead religion, not dead traditions, not formalism, but there's a power and a presence in your midst. And when Jesus revealed himself as the I am, he's having this intense dispute with these religious leaders, the Pharisees in John chapter eight, and he declares himself very clearly. Now, remember, Jesus has got a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and we all know how that story ends when the press comes they take off and run when they come to pick a fight with jesus and take him in to crucify him so we know that these guys don't have any backbone that are around him so really no matter how many people are following jesus no matter what the disciples say at the end of the day they're going to run it's jesus versus everybody else And he's in a country full of religion, people adding rules and regulations and putting burdens on people. And yet here's Jesus who teaches with authority and sinners love him. Why? Because he's the real deal. You see, sinners see the facade of religion. They love Jesus because he's the real deal. There's an ad for a religious group that's out right now. I won't name them. But in part of that ad, they simply say this. We wrote the Bible. Now, I would say to you that that's a very dangerous statement to make. Because the last time I checked, the Bible is inspired by God. Men inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote it. But before that group of people ever identified themselves as that group, God was already here writing down words. So Baptists didn't write the Bible. Methodists didn't write the Bible. Catholics didn't write the Bible. Nobody wrote the Bible except men inspired by God. And and God did such a good of writing it, it hasn't had to be revised or added to in 2,000 years. That's a pretty good book. And so here's the word of God, and, and Jesus comes and says in John 8, 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now drop down to verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Can I just stop right there? I just just want to camp here for just a half a second. I'll shoot this rabbit, I'll bag him, I'll stuff him, I'll put him up in the office next to my wolf, and uh, we'll go on. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people that were older in churches say to a young staff member, you're not old enough to know anything. By the way, age doesn't mean maturity. I've met 80-year-olds that were not as mature as some 15-year-olds. And I've met 80-year-olds that had the wisdom of saints. Age is not maturity. And one of the reasons churches die is because people think age gives them a privilege to have an opinion different from the Word of God, whether they're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80. When I went to Ada, I was informed by deacons and by other people how young I was, and I was one of the youngest pastors they'd ever called. All that did was put me in a prophet mode for three years. Many of them regretted they ever said that to me for three years, I preached in a, I'm going to tell you what Jesus said mode. And so, now I'm 59 and I can say I'm older than some of you. But I don't use it to say that means I'm more spiritual than. You get the point? Here were people that said, you're not old enough to speak about Abraham. Does the Bible not say that sometimes a child will lead them? It's that little card that's under the glass on my desk from a child that is right now in Kids Rock. That said, Brother Michael, I don't know how to pray for you, but I will pray that God uses you to bring revival. Now, that's from a fourth grader. I'd say there's some wisdom there. He's praying for the right things. These people are saying, we've been around, we've got all our degrees, our pedigrees, we've got our robes, we've got our tassels, we've got our hats, we've got everything else, all that the priests wore, we've got all that. You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? I mean, they were mocking the Son of God. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And so here's what religious people do. They pick up stones and try to kill the person that tells them the truth. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. By the way, have you ever noticed, we were on on Mount Precipice a couple of years ago, and I got to thinking about how they tried to drive Jesus out and throw him off of that high mountain. And if you've ever seen that, it is a rocky fall, and before he ever hit the bottom, he would have died because he would have hit rocks and then fallen down to other rocks and other rocks and I've stood right on the edge of it, and I thought, you know, it's a little high. I may need to back up a little bit. It's a long fall. And Jesus let them lead him out and push him around. But he came to a point on that mountain where he said, boys, that's all I'm gonna take from you. The crowd had manhandled him to the point till he decided, that's it. I'm gonna show him who's boss here. And he walked through the crowd that had shoved him out of the city down through the valley, up to Mount Precipice, trying to take his life, and Jesus said, that's it, stop. I'm in charge here. And he just walked through the crowd, and they couldn't stop him. Before Abraham was, I am. Who can you not stop? You can stop a prophet. You can stop a priest. You can stop a religious teacher, but you cannot stop I am. I am went through the crowd. Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple. And when he said that, he said, I am the author of Abraham's call. I am the author of the covenant. I am the author of the book that you read. I am the author of every word that came out of the prophets. I am the author of every psalm that was written. I am the one who is the fulfillment of all prophecy. You either accept me or reject me. That's what I am does. He calls us to a decision. And so I just kind of want to go through the phrases, and then I want to give you some suggestions. Jesus said, I am. So the question you have to ask yourself is, He is, I am. Is He your Lord? Is He your Master? Jesus said on another occasion, I am. Fear not. So if you're dealing with fear tonight, let Christ be the I am that takes away your fear. He said, I am the light of the world into your darkness, into your dark times, and your dark seasons, and your loneliness, and your depression. He is the light in those times. I am the bread of life. He's here to fill hungry hearts. I am the good shepherd into a world of anxiety and not knowing what direction we're going to go in and not knowing where to turn or who's going to lead. Here's the one who takes us down righteous paths. I have come that you might have life abundant. Here's the one that didn't just save us to be religious and to go through the motions and to check the box, but to live in power with Him. I will never forsake you. Folks, listen, somebody is going to forsake you family, friends, society, your employer, your employees, whatever. Somebody's going to forsake you. Jesus said, I will never forsake you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In a world of various and confusing voices, He is the voice that says, here's the way, walk in it. I am the resurrection and the life. The greatest subject that is avoided in America today is the subject of death. And He says, I can take away the fear of death. I am the true vine. We get our power by abiding in Him. I am with you always. There is never a situation when he is not there. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, have you ever really thought about that? There's nowhere you can go that he is not there. Some of you have stood by the bed of loved ones who have been in a coma and not been able to communicate. He is there. Some of you have stood by a grave and wondered what your future would be. He is there. Some of you have dealt with dark valleys. He has been there. Some of you have been on a mountaintop and he's been there. Some of you have felt like every prayer you've ever prayed has been answered and he has been there. Some of you have felt like many prayers you've prayed he didn't even hear, but he was there. There's never a place where he is not there. At school, at home, at work, in a crisis, When you get a phone call you don't want, when something happens and the bottom comes out of your life, he is there. He's not off working with somebody else saying, take a ticket, I'll get to you in a minute. He's there, right there with you. Now, only an I am God could do that. Only an I am God could be with you and with me at the same time, even if we're on different parts of the planet. So I want to give you five suggestions in how you let the I am become personal with you. First of all, honestly identify the struggles that drag you down. Let's just be honest. What is it that it seems like you keep tripping over, you keep getting beat up over, you keep blowing it, honestly identify the struggles that are dragging you down your fears your struggles your anxieties your issues whatever it is just be honest by the way i am already knows that you have those struggles so you might as well admit it secondly think how christ might have dealt with that situation during his earthly ministry Now, if Christ were here today, and he is, just in a different way, how would he have dealt with that in his earthly ministry? Remember he said, I am with you always. So, your situation is nothing new. Problems are problems, life is life, stuff is stuff. So, knowing that, how do you think Jesus would have dealt with it? What do you think Jesus would have said to you? And then begin to look in his word and find a promise that deals with that issue and claim it because it is a promise from the I am God who began it by saying, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Number three, praise God that he knows, cares, and is in you right now. I I don't know about you, that's just great to me. God knows all the stuff about our lives that we come to church and hope nobody finds out about. God knows all of that. He still cares. If we could ever get in our head that nothing we do makes God love us more or love us less, it just says God is what love god knows and he cares he's not indifferent to our circumstances and our sufferings and our fears number four ask god to turn your struggle into a stepping stone ask god to turn your struggle into a stepping stone to walk in a new dimension of faith There's no pit that is so deep that he is not deeper still. I don't think God says, I like you enough that I'm going to do that for you in the midst of all the hard times. But I don't like you enough. I'm not going to do that for you. I think for those who seek him and long for him and love him and desire him, he steps in to the middle of our worst nightmare and says, I'm here. I'm right here. Last thing. Praise him even when you don't feel like it. Praise him even when you don't feel like it. Mark, I'm gonna ask you and the praise team to come up. We're gonna sing the great I am in just a moment. Praise him even when you don't feel like it. Have you ever come to church and you just didn't feel like praising God? Confessions, not always good for what people think about. I've come to church ticked off before. I I know that's hard for any of you to believe. (laughs) I've come to church happy and gotten ticked off before I got in the building because, you know, somebody tried to ruin my day. I mean, I've come to church upset. I've come to church crushed. I've come to church not feeling like I wanted to preach. But there's one thing I've discovered. God inhabits the praise of his people. And when we praise God, even when we don't feel, I don't feel like praising God today. we'll do it anyway. It's like my daddy used to say to me, I don't care whether you feel like saying thank you, yes sir or no sir, or yes ma'am or no ma'am, do it anyway. Because it's the right thing to do. You know what? It's the right thing to do. God never says about praise, I'd rather you not do that. God inhabits the praises of his people. He is the great I am. Whatever you need, I am, I am, fill in the blank. That's what he is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're gonna face this year. I don't know what I'm going to face this year. Last year was not a fun year for our family in a lot of ways. We had a lot of things that we could have belly ached and griped about, but we chose to get back enough from it and step up and see what God's perspective was on it. And God took things that were meant for evil and turned them to good. And God took things that hurt and turned them to help. I don't know how God does all of that. I just know he does it. Sometimes he doesn't do it as quick as I want him to do it. Sometimes I'd like him to be a little speedy Gonzalez with this thing and get moving. But he does it. But I know this. I've never regretted praising him even in the storms of life. I've never regretted praising him even in the valleys of life because I know that in praise God's presence begins to be sensed